The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. continuing to study the topic of prayer, the language we speak with our God and Savior, moving among different texts of the Bible. In fact, today with this subject before us of praise to God as the beginning of prayer, we could go a lot of places in the Bible, but the Psalms are a natural place to go for that subject, and Psalm 103 is a natural psalm to go to, being one of the premier psalms of praise today. And I'm not so much concerned to go through it verse by verse as to just have it before you as an exhibition of praising God as the, what I'm calling the front door of prayer. Listen to the the first 14 verses of Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, And he remembers that we are more like dust. May God bless this portion of his holy word. I remember well at least one skill that I learned for a lifetime from Cub Scouts. And that was how to build a campfire that you can light with one match. As Cub Scouts, we were on a camp out, and we were in groups of two or three, and we, were, we had food that we were supposed to cook for our dinner, but before we could cook it, we had to start a one-match fire, one match only. If we didn't light the fire with one match, we had to scatter everything that was there and start over again. So you had an incentive besides being hungry 
to learn how to do that one-match fire. And you learned that you must start with very dry and fine kindling material, and I recall that no paper was allowed. It had to be natural material, natural kindling. And then you introduced some slightly larger material, and then slightly larger than that, until you worked your way up to huge sticks that were like pencils. And if you could get sticks the size of pencils going, you probably could keep that fire going to actually take logs. I find in that lesson about fire starting an important analogy to how we begin our practice of God-centered prayer. We need to ignite a blaze in our cold minds and hearts. They need to be warmed to begin the act of praise to God. And as we continue in some coming weeks to look at this subject of God-centered prayer, I'm bringing before you an acrostic of something that's very basic that many of you know and have learned in the past. The, the four letters, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That word acts, A-C-T-S, becomes a guide, a framework for all kinds of prayer. Very useful framework to remind you how to approach God by first adoring Him for Himself, who He is and what He has done. And secondly, coming to Him with confession because we fall so short of Him that we must search our sins and confess them openly, then thanking him for his mercies. And lastly, not firstly, bringing him our supplications or petitions. And I suggest to you that this is even something that applies to the very structure of our church worship service. If you would think about it and look at what we do here week after week, we don't say the exact same things every week, but we do have a pattern in our worship that we first adore God. Our first hymn is a hymn that tries to lift God high for praise. And our first invocation prayer seeks to speak pure praise. Then we confess. Then we give thanks. Then we come with petitions. So this even applies to the way we literally go about our worship as we light a, fl a flame under prayer, adoration, is the first thing, and that's what we want to talk about some today. I could have gone to many different places in the Bible to speak about this subject with equal benefit, I'm sure. But as I said, the Psalms are the great directory of praise and adoration, and Psalms 103 and 104 are wonderful examples of this. One scholar called these two Psalms twin stars of the first magnitude as far as offering pure praise to God. I chose Psalm 103 because if you will scan down it, and even the part I didn't read near the end, you will find here's a psalm with no petitions in it whatsoever. David doesn't ask God for anything. He doesn't pray for any need. He doesn't lift up any complaint. He's simply offering pure praise all the way through this psalm. I hope we can learn some things from it today. We talk about magnifying the Lord. There are various psalms that say that. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. 
Do you realize what a strange request that is? When you magnify, you, you make something larger. You put a glass on it and bring it up to be able to read it with your old eyes. Why is it they're putting everything in smaller and smaller type these days? Am I the only person that's noticed that? I, I had something sent to me in the mail that I could not believe that somebody actually thought I could read that with my eyes. When we magnify, we're making larger. How do we make God larger? Well, at the very least, what we can say is that we are enlarging our knowledge of Him. We are seeking to declare Him to the highest possible extreme so that He soars above all things of earth, but we can't actually enlarge God. Any portrait we might paint, any word picture we might communicate, we know falls drastically short of the true size and enormity of our God and His character and His deeds and who He truly is and what He is. But the thesis I put before you today is the idea that adoration of God is the beginning of this flame uh, that might be a fire burning that we call prayer. We so often go right to the last letter of that acrostic, the S of supplication. We've got things to ask for. And if we do say anything to God, we view it perhaps as preliminaries to quickly rush on by and get to the real business of things, the list, the requests, the askings. But if we would think hard about beginning prayer with adoration, we would learn to love God for Himself. We would learn that prayer is not just a certain kind of speech that we address at the unseen God, but it is communication of our very heart for who God is and all that God is. And placing adoration at the front door entrance of prayer is something we must give ourselves to learning by habitual and conscious practice. Well, I have just two main points today, and the first is summarized this way. Adoration for God opens the door to the very essence of prayer. In the first five verses of Psalm 103, look at David. He's at, you might say he's actually talking to himself, but he's talking to God through talking to himself. He addresses his own soul and says, Soul! Here's what you need to do. Give blessing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. And look at then at the things that he says God has done, the, the active verbs about what God has done. A God who forgives, a God who heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies, and so on. He lifts one word after another and says, Oh, my soul, do you understand what God has done and who He is. It's as if He's addressing His own deficiencies and saying, Soul, I know what you would think about if I just left you alone. You would think about how bad things are for you or what you need or how many complaints you have. But I would have you think about the greatness of God first and foremost. And as I said, this is the same as the pattern we have in our morning worship service. We strive when we choose a first hymn to make sure that it's a hymn that exalts God, that lifts Him up, that speaks of His grandeur and His great deeds. 
And when we pray the first prayer of the service, it is calling upon the Lord for who he is and what he has done. Look at how David also here says he, his whole being is involved in this. Says, look at the use of the word all. All my inmost being must realize this, to realize all of God's benefits and healing and forgiveness of all my sins and diseases. This is a, a soul uh, comprehensive project to see God in comparison to all that I am and all that He is. We have a time of concentrated prayer most weeks of the year here called the Church at Prayer. In smaller congregations, the Wednesday prayer meeting is one of the premier times and one of the few times maybe that a church prays. Our church prays many, many different times during the week in home fellowships, in classes, in all kinds of occasions. Our session began our meeting this past week with a half an hour of prayer together, and that's very common. But when I, when I take leadership of the Wednesday time, which isn't too often these days, Pastor Keith usually leads it, but I come and I say to the folks, okay, we have a printed sick list. We have the needs of many folks who have told us what they need in prayer. And the temptation is to run right in and start praying for those folks and their needs. And we certainly can do that with profit. But I say to them, look, first we're going to offer some kind of specific praise. I want many of you in the room to lift up one thing that you can praise God for. And thankfully, our people always are ready to do that, to adore the Lord, to praise the Lord. And I wouldn't care, quite frankly, if we spent the whole 45 minutes doing that and take the sick list home to pray over. Not that it is unimportant. I'm not saying that. But divine adoration brings us before God and reminds us who it is we're addressing. It causes us to slow down and think about what we're doing. Otherwise, we're sort of like arrogant, flippant, 10-year-old boys who come rushing into the king's chamber all muddy and soiled and uh, thinking of ourselves only and say, oh, is there something important going on here? The purpose of opening praise in prayer is not, as some might think, because God is somehow a needy God, that he is one who likes to have his ego stroked. You know, of course, there are many leaders who are like that. They will do something for you or for their country or their political party if you first pay a lot of attention to them and make them feel good about how big they are, how important they are. That is not what we are doing when we come to adore our God. We are simply realizing the fact that we don't deal with a peer or an equal in God. We deal with a sovereign, a king. We sang, oh, worship the king to open this service. It's hymn number two in the book. Why do you think that is? It's right there at the front because it is a recognition of the almightiness and the uniqueness and the power and the glory of our Creator God. Spurgeon said, familiarity with God there should be, but it must be a holy familiarity, not the boldness, he said, of a rebel who brazenly presumes and storms into the presence of a king, but the, the familiarity of a child as before 
a great parent. Our demeanor as we begin to pray must reflect the fact that apart from Jesus Christ, we have no business approaching God. He would be utterly inaccessible to us, so far removed in his greatness that if it were not for Christ and his cross and his atonement, we could not come near. But of course, we can come near because of Christ. And so, adoration sets forth our position in relation to him and sees to it that we bow before our sovereign first and foremost. Adoration for God opens the door to the very essence of what prayer is. But let's take it further. There's a second thing to emphasize, and that is that the very act of adoring God produces real blessing for us. God is worthy of our adoration and praise even if we never reaped anything from it or got any direct benefit from it, but we do get many benefits from it. Adoration is like the lighting of a pilot light, diverting attention off ourselves and starting the blaze of real worship of the majesty and greatness of God. One of the things that we helpfully do in this adoration is calling God by any of his many biblical names. He is the Most High. He is the Almighty. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's our rock and our fortress. He is the Almighty Lord, the Captain, the Savior, the God of earthquake, wind, and storm. By saying these things and lifting these things high, we find our emotions and our thoughts warming and becoming more and more deeply inclined towards who God is. It might be a very prosaic, lowly illustration. You know I'm a baseball fan, but uh, you would never see a premier baseball pitcher or any baseball pitcher, as far as that goes, be sent by his manager straight out to the mound and say, now, the minute you get there, I expect you to waste no time and throw that ball and throw it the hardest and best you can to the first batter. There's no pitcher that goes to the mound and begins to pitch right away without a warm-up. They have a bullpen for him to warm up. I don't know how many pitches are counted as being a sufficient warm-up, but uh, you've watched baseball games and you see a fellow up there maybe through part of a whole inning or something warming up his arm because he's going to go in next. Well, we need that kind of a warm-up, if you will, to knowing and being reminded of the names and the descriptions and the deeds of God before we would really come into a lively participation in prayer. Our minds are are too humanly distracted and, and cold on all kinds of things coming before the Lord. We need that warm-up. Let me just tell you, just give you a few, and these are really just a handful of examples of the kind of praise you can find in Scripture. I could make this list dozens of references, scores of references long, but here's just a few. Exodus 15, 11. There are the words, Who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Who is like you? No one, obviously. That great thought leads you into prayer. Another in 1 Chronicles 29.10 says this, 
Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. You are exalted as head above all. Or right here across the page from Psalm 103, you look at the beginning of Psalm 104 as another great example where you read this. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment and makes the clouds his chariot. Or back up quite a few psalms, back to Psalm 8. Psalm 8, 1 says, O Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at the heavens as works of your fingers, the moon and stars, what is man that you are mindful of him? You see, our tendency would be to rush into God's presence and say, here I am, a human being, the most important thing you made, and I'm sure you, you take due regard of my importance. Well, instead, Psalm 8 says, what is man compared to the great things you have made? And if we would ponder biblical words like these, we would not approach God so casually or so thoughtlessly. One of my very favorite Bible benedictions is from the New Testament. 1 Timothy 1.17. Very simple sentence, but it, the words strung together just raise your thoughts quite high. It says, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jonathan Edwards, the great minister of the early American colonies, said that that verse was directly instrumental to his conversion as a young man at about age 18. He wrote about it in a spiritual journal. Edwards said this about 1 Timothy 1.17. He said, As I read that text, there came upon my soul a piercing sense of the glory of the divine being. And I thought to myself how excellent God is and how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God and be swallowed up in him forever. And Edward said, after that, I prayed to him with a new and holy affection. We're not talking about simple emotionalism. Edward's word was a holy affection, a sacred regard for God that sees him in all his greatness. You know, if we waited until we felt like praying and, and our minds were warm with devotion and we were in the right mood, I would think we would never pray. I don't know if I would because my mind is occupied with myself so much of the time. And I would, if I did pray, it would be all about myself. I need to consciously put myself in the mind of a holy affection where I would look to God and feel almost slain by how far beneath him I really am. Can we imagine beginning prayer even for a few sentences, as David did in Psalm 103, pouring out praise without petitions at all, but just simply relating to him? Well, I would think you might easily say, hey, I'm not eloquent like David was. I mean, look at the poetry here at Psalm 103. Any one of us would say, I couldn't write things like that. 
I don't think like that. Well, guess what? That's why God gave us the Psalms, so that we could pray using them as prayer starters, as prayer igniters. Now, there are some Psalms that wouldn't be appropriate because they do speak of complaints or of difficulties and so on. Not every one would, would be the same as 103, but many are. Many would serve as the kindling that would ignite the flame of God-honoring prayer. You can go to the New Testament as well as the Psalms. Take a passage like Philippians 2, that great hymn to Christ, or Ephesians 1 that tells about God's work in electing and choosing out people for his own people throughout all generations. Or I think of a favorite of mine, Revelation 5, that speaks of Christ with great praise. Those words are, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Could you say those words out loud? And not be lifted out of yourself and your own little narrow concerns to think of the greatness of Christ. A few weeks ago, I mentioned to you a book. A couple of you have actually told me you've searched out and found it. You can find almost any book online, I guess, these days, even if it's long out of print. But Benjamin Palmer was the man who wrote a great book called The Theology of Prayer in the 19th century. It is out of print now, but you might find it somewhere if you looked hard enough. Palmer wrote this. He said, Oh, the selfishness of anyone who would restrict prayer to mere petitions of need. He said, Shall nothing drive us to God beside the pressure of our own wants? Shall we think of him only when we are hungry and forget him when we are full? Is there nothing attractive about the very character of Jehovah himself to draw us to him as to a great magnet. Can there be any worthier use of our faculties of thought, feeling, or word than to employ them in the pure worship of our august creator? Look at how high this praise took David. He started out talking to his own soul and saying, soul, you need to worship God. But I didn't read the whole way down. If you find him down at verse 20, he has risen off the ground, as it were, and he's saying, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Now David's right there with the heavenly beings who praise God all the time. God does not need our praise as if he were poorer without it. His self-image does not need a boost provided by us. Our great God and Savior is not a beggar who is wasting away by your neglect of him. It is you and I who benefit and grow and are lifted into the very presence of God when we will offer him heartfelt praise. And using the words of Scripture is one of the best ways to begin, I challenge you to take maybe some index cards. Get yourself a couple of five-by-eight size index cards and just stick them in the back of your Bible. And in your Bible reading, I'm assuming you do read the Bible, you would find you would come across Psalm 103. So right, right on the top of the index card, prayer starters or prayer kindlers, and write Psalm 103, 1 and following. 
and Psalm 104, 1 and following, and some of the other things I've mentioned. And you'll find these. Believe me, if you're looking for them, they will pop out at you. You will find them. You will easily fill several cards with starters for prayer, starters where the application of a match of your smallest effort will kindle a blaze of leading you into the very presence of God as you pray. J.I. Packer wrote this. He said in his book, Knowing God, once you become aware that your main business for which you are put here on earth is to know God and communicate with him, then most of life's other problems tend to fall into place of their own accord. So learning to adore God is very important for putting your own problems into a right perspective. Alongside our Psalm 103 text, I will close today with another model approach to to God in prayer. I think it's a good one to close with. You can note this also on your index card. Psalm 145, 1 and following. I will extol you, my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I hope this is the God you are learning to pray to. He is the true God. Our Father, we keep asking you to teach us to pray. And certainly the note of praise is often missing. For many of us, we're in too much of a hurry. We're too self-absorbed. We do not quite understand that we, we need to see in our mind how marvelous you are as we address you. So, Lord, once more we pray through Jesus and his Spirit. Teach us to pray. Amen.